This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. Welcome to Live and Learn. I'm Troy and Take. Esports was included as a demonstration sport at the recently concluded Asian Games, and it will be an official medal sport at the Olympics in 2022. And just to give a sense of how much money is flowing into the game, a professional e-gamer from Malaysia was part of a team that recently won 17 million ringgit at the International 2018 Dota 2 Championship. So here in the studio with me to explain、um, kind of the scale of esports and some of the legal issues that are coming up. Our sports lawyers Richard Wee and paralegal Brian Boo. Brian, Richard, welcome. Hi, thanks for having us back. So, Richard, if I can get you to begin, what is esport? Who are the players playing it? Are they considered athletes, gamers, video gamers? That actually is a very good question.、Um, because of the novelty of the、um, event,、uh, I still call it an event for now.、Um, esports is pretty much、um, a Uh, subject matter of discussion.、Uh, generally, anything on a cyber-based、um, game, we will traditionally call it computer games. That is a game.、Uh, Angry Bird,、um, any of these old uh, uh, Tetris. These are well, people now know how old I am when I see those <laughs> games. But、uh, or FIFA, those are all games. But、uh, there are some、uh, computer games which has evolved into a. A competition、uh, like a League of Legends,、uh, Dota Two.、Uh, these are esports. So those games that we are、uh, competing against each other has evolved into esports. So it's it's very much like、um, uh, normal sports. So we have、uh, the Olympic and below Olympics. There's football, basketball, badminton. So、uh, for esports, below esports, we have League of Legends,、um, Dota Two, FIFA. Uh, so these are the kind of computer games involved. So those those are esports as compared to、uh, happy games that we play. Like I, I repeat, Angry Birds. You know, those those are just.、Uh, But、uh, Tetris、games. can be very competitive as well, isn't it? Yes, so, it as, is. As long as a game has some competitive elements to it, and more than one player can play. It's considered esports. No, it's still games.、Uh, but for for、uh, the esports community, they have acknowledged about、uh, about eight to ten games, Brian, which、uh, acknowledge as proper esports tournament. So you see the tournaments that they have all over the world.、Uh, like in fact,、uh, the weekend of twentieth of September,、uh, there is a、uh, uh, esports tournament going on in Malaysia. It's a world tournament, and、um, the, in that tournament, they are having、um, Dota. Yeah. Dota Two. What else,、uh, Brian? I think they are having、uh, Counter Strike. I think、mm. yeah, a couple so, of the major games. Yeah, these are the major games. So those are esports. So even though we, we may have a competitive Tetris game, it is not esports because there's no、uh, tournament so per se for that yet. But you never know; it may evolve one day.、Yeah. For now, no. So Brian, eight to nine sports that are considered、uh, esports. Who decides、um, the, that these are the games that will be considered sports, and what are the criteria? So, down to the basics of it,、um, to be an esports, you need to be a multiplayer game. It must be competitive, and usually there are is for spectators to see,、uh, to watch.、Um, companies and game developers are now trying to use that as a marketing strategy. So, generally, whether or not one becomes an esport or just merely a game. I think, from in my opinion, it's depending on whether or not the fans actually. See it as an esports or not?、Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess、um, 
the reason why we're talking about it is because a lot of money is coming into it, isn't it? Because uh, who sets the rules and regulations for, for these tournaments? First things first, uh, and take, we, sh- we must first understand uh, that esports is nothing like badminton, basketball or football. For example, uh, a quick um, historical discussion. So for football, for example, we get a group of people playing football, form a team, form a club, then form a district, form a state, and eventually form an uh, international association. So it is very uh, community-based. Uh, it starts off with that. Almost every game is like that. But esports is actually uh, driven by companies, um, publishers. So publishers are the companies which own the rights of the game. Of course, the designers are the people who created the game. You know, those are the, the people behind the game. So publishers will then push the, the, the tournament and they will then decide the tournament rules, etc., etc. And um, back to your question about the issue about money, uh, actually, the publishers are not giving out money for the tournament, but the people who watch the tournament, the um, streaming rights, uh, the people who donate money to the tournament, uh, this uh, uh, the how the money is actually accumulated, and and hence why you see that's quite a lot of money in the tournament. So Brian, it's largely driven by the publishers who are owners of the game. Seems like there could be some conflict of interest, no? Um, so because they develop the game, they publish the game. The rights still belong to the publishers. Unlike football, no one earn, no one owns that right to football. So when it comes to esports. The publishers, because I I develop the game, I publish the game, I set the rules for the game. Um, however, there is a balance that can be struck uh, because at the end of the day, without players, without fans, esports is nothing. And therefore, a lot of publishers, the rules they come up with, the policies they develop, still have in mind what the fans want and they won't abuse their powers, so, far, so to speak. Yeah. And Richard, so is this a good enough system at the moment that we have? Well, in my view, of course... Uh from a sporting regulation point of view, the three issues of sports, uh, uh, to me lah, as a sports lawyer, is regulation, integrity and governance. Uh, I think esports have a long way on that. Um, at the moment, we have an official association in Malaysia called ESM, uh, Esports Malaysia. Uh, so in that is an association akin to, for example, FAM. Uh, they manage the, the, the whole esports. But... Um, I don't see uh, strong synergy between the publishers in Malaysia uh, and the, all the other stakeholders of esports in Malaysia with uh, ESM, for example. So that is still, they need to work on that. So once we get a proper uh, sports association for esports running, then I think uh, the effectiveness of the rules, uh, the governance, the disciplinary issues, uh, the integrity issues uh, will become stronger. But for now, I think uh, it's still very much commercially driven. Right, Brian, isn't that a good thing if the game or the players are good enough, spectators are going to flock towards it and going to pay more money to watch gameplay footages? Well, like I said earlier, um, it is good in a sense that there is a check and balance, so to speak. Um, companies do not want to lose their integrity with the fans. They do not want to lose their popularity with the fans. Especially nowadays, games are quite similar to one another. So it's very easy to lose fans from my game to another person's game. And therefore, having this um, sort of... Of course, governance can be a lot better, as Richard has mentioned earlier. Uh, but as of now, the fans dictate the direction of esports. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Because 
the publisher owns the copyright. Is that right, uh, Richard? Yeah, the you can see that. Property. Yeah, you can use that phrase. Yeah. How do players make money then? Well, they well, uh, I'll leave Brian for the rest. But uh, of course, one is uh, when they are taking part as a team. Uh, the team will then engage them as a professional player, uh, just like any professional player get paid to play. Number one, um, any prize money they win, uh, they probably have a major share in it. Uh, I'm sure the team will have a cut to it too. So that's the other way. Um, you'd be surprised. Esports players are very, very popular uh, in the online world. So their merchandisers are, are, are lucrative. You know, they sell shirts, etc., etc. So the players make money from there again. Um, of course, I think they can also uh, monetize their image rights. Uh, they uh, they also monetize their uh, social media. Uh, so they, they 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 do earn a, a decent amount of money, and that's why uh, there are more and more professional esports players now. Right. Um, it's not often to see uh, players who are successful at the elite level of e-gaming yeah. to be a solo uh, actor, isn't it? They're usually part of a team or a, a company or a group, as Richard mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this the way it's going to be or because of the nature of the economics of it at the moment? I think it's also very dependent on the game itself. So games like Dota, Counter-Strike, Overwatch, these are more team-based games. So team synergy is very important. And because you have five people, six people, uh, the hardware is going to cost quite a bit. So a sponsor or a team owner will come in to to, to provide these. Uh, on the other hand, you have games like FIFA, um, Pro Evolution Soccer, which are more single-player games. Uh, in that kind of situation, some gets ha- some gets contracts with organizations or even football clubs, uh, but there is nothing stopping them from making it on their own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's also better for training, isn't it? If you have a a team of players. Yeah, in fact, the the trend is especially for team-based games where the team organizer, uh, team, the team organ, the team owners actually have a team house. They will rent a house. All players will fly across the globe to that particular house. They will stay there, train there, live there, and for the whole season. Yeah. yeah. Okay, let's take a short break, and we'll come back and discuss uh, the problem of e-doping and as well as other issues related to maybe broadcasting rights. I'm speaking today to Richard Wee and Brian Boo about legal issues in esports. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. You're listening to Live and Learn. I'm Chua Antek. With me in the studio today are sports lawyers Richard Wee and paralegal Brian Boo. We're discussing some of the legal issues that are cropping up in uh, esports or electronic sports. Uh, so we kind of discuss what, an, what esports are, who are the proponents, players, uh, briefly the economics of it as well um, is broadcasting rights now what is at the um, frontier of what's been discussed in how esports uh, is going to be organized going forward uh, do we have a framework for how broadcasting rights um, are distributed or owned or like how, how, how it's monetized I think um I think I have to clarify something first. Um, unlike traditional sports where the broadcasting rights belong to the tournament organiser, uh, as we mentioned earlier, the copyright, intellectual property right, belongs to the developer themselves. So in order to publish or, or broadcast the game, uh, naturally we will need the permissions from the uh, publishers. Uh, most of the publishers see it as a marketing opportunity, so they have no issue with um, people broadcasting the game. 
the issue arises where the tournament organizer then comes in. Does how far or how much um, rights do a tournament organizer have? And um, publishers have generally come up and say, rights to pub, uh, to broadcast the game belongs to the publisher. However, any add-ons, additional like design of the design of the the broadcast, uh, the casters, the the commentators they hire, all these the rights, the broadcasting rights to that will belong to the tournament organizer. So a player who broadcast his training footage, for example, can he monetize that? Sure, he can. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as you know, the it's a live streaming. Um, and if there are millions of people logging in, okay, maybe millions is overestimating, hundreds of thousands of people logged in to watch uh, a person play, yeah, they can, can monetize Can it. the publisher claim some royalty because they own the the game? Generally, publishers are all right with that because... The more people that watch these players play, the more people will play my game. And therefore, in essence, this will lead, lead to uh, more purchases, whether it's in-game or, or uh, loot boxes. So it's still money for me mm-hmm. as a publisher. And where is the platform that most people go on to watch esports? Twitch. Twitch. Twitch What's their business model like? So they allow, they are a platform where anyone can sign up and have their own channel. And from that channel, they would broadcast the gameplay that they are playing right now. So it's, if I could give an example, it's as if a camera is, is looking at your screen. And whatever the camera is recording, it's broadcasted to your channel. Right. In doing some reading, um, there was some controversy with uh, ESL1 Genting earlier in the year when... They choose to stream their gameplay, um, or rather the game on Facebook, on Facebook mm-hmm. rather than Twitch. Why was this considered controversial? Um, so, Facebook and um, ESL entered to an exclusive broadcasting agreement. Um, so, every ESL tournament has to be broadcasted on Facebook. Unfortunately, because Facebook is new to the scene, there were some technical issues, and uh, the viewing experience was not as good. Uh, therefore, a lot of the um, influencers and popular people, or popular streamers, decided to stream on their own channel, individual channels, which are mostly on Twitch. And therefore, um, this took a lot of viewers away from Facebook to Twitch. Um, so ESL issued um, a notice to take down the channels. And um, of course, this ensued um, a whole controversy hoo-ha in the community and um, it forced the publishers to come out and made a statement as we said earlier the game broadcasting rights belong to the publisher any add-on belongs to the tournament tournament organiser themselves you got to understand and take that um, unlike for example the World Cup football um, the World Cup football tournament belongs to FIFA right? here uh, the publisher which is akin to FIFA they own the game say Counter-Strike but the tournament organizer is somebody else. Uh, so like this uh, tournament going on in Malaysia on the 20th of September, uh, effectively belongs to Alibaba Group. Um, so uh, the tournament organizer is another stakeholder. So in, in, in this example, just to clarify to the viewer, uh, the listeners, that when a, a publisher allow company X to organize a tournament using their game, then uh, the, it looks like after what happened to ESL in Genting that uh, the publishers still have a right to tell anybody to stream the game. Anybody can still stream the game live. So ESL doesn't have the exclusive right to only allow one 
streaming company in this case was Facebook to do that. They 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 can stop that from happening. Right. The publisher can stop that from happening. So how can tournament organizer gain from this um, arrangement? Well, they still can make money from their own uh, uh, streaming. Uh, they too can continue streaming, but it's just that uh, the, the, the tournament organizer cannot give exclusive rights to one person only. It, it looks like that for the moment. Mm-hmm. But I'm quite certain this will evolve. I, I think maybe in a few years' time, you will see this particular arrangement may evolve. Uh, but for now, that's the way it is. Can publishers make those exclusive arrangements? Yeah, because they own a the game. Right. They, they, they allow... Uh, so, uh, let's say... I own a game and it's called uh, Chonka. So then I allow uh, Brian to organize a tournament using my game, Chonka. And I own everything in the game, the intellectual property, uh, the rights, the patents, etc. So whatever I tell uh, Brian's company, he has to listen. So same thing here. Right. Exactly the same way. Okay. So um, that's one um, side of the coin. The other part, I suppose, would be e-doping. Uh, Brian, what, what, how are people cheating in the arena of esports? So just like um, crack files, um, pirated goods, uh, because it's digital, it's technology, it's very easy to uh, cheat in the game and go undetected. Um, it's all ones and zeros, software coding. So one example I could give you is uh, Counter-Strike. Counter-Strike is basically a five versus five people uh, shooting game where it's like in a real life situation. So in normal situations, you should not be able to see through walls. So one way of e-doping is they employ a particular um, code that allows them to see through the walls. So gives them to ev- give them that advantage. And that is what we will call, as, we coin as e-doping. Okay. Do most of these uh, tournaments, do they happen in a common arena where everyone is sitting in the same spot? Or does it happen with gamers in their own uh, room or home or wherever? Well, the ecosystem of esports is quite unique because it is not based on locality. So even if the tournament is in Malaysia, a Canadian can, can, can participate in it. And uh, there's no limit to the number of people to participate. So if the tournament organizer wants to bring everyone to a single location, it will cost a lot. And I don't think there's any place that can accommodate such a number. Um, So most of the qualifiers are done online. Whereas when it comes to the main event, the main stage, the the teams that qualify would come to a single locality where everything, the computers are, are controlled by the tournament organizers, the keyboards, the mouse, even the program itself, everything is controlled by the tournament organizer. Right. So that's that's the the, the loophole. Yeah. So, so most of the controls or they, they get to filter out a lot of these at the at the finals. Yeah. At the finals itself. So yes. a lot of cheating happens in the qualifying. I rounds. wouldn't use a lot of cheatings, but um, to be fair, it's not not that rampant. Um, it happens, uh, but it's not fair to cast aspersion on all the players. Oh, a lot of cheating happened. But I would say that um, uh, the the Publishers identify this problem. The event organizers, they have identified this problem and they have actually tried to eradicate it. Mm-hmm. But it's there. This is back to what I said earlier, the issue of integrity. Yeah, but actually, there's a bigger problem to that. Uh, while uh, I applaud uh, the publishers and the tournament organizers um, across the, the, the globe, if they catch someone who is uh, cheating, they immediately uh, drop or block that player immediately or the team. But that team or player can still play in another tournament. Mm. 
organized by somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, and playing another game. So maybe if he gets blocked for Counter Strike, he can he or she can still play uh, Dota 2, mm-hmm. League of Legends. So that that is the one slight uh, issue that yeah. we have. That that they are not more uh, in sync. Yeah, the enforcement is not sufficient. So like like in soccer, football, if a player uh, bite another player during a World Cup match, you can ban the player worldwide. It's happened before, you know. So. Uh, it's not not really done yet for esports. Why is it not happening? Well, there's no proper governance yet. That, that's the the challenge. Um, um, like like I said, the football example I gave that it started from a community group of people playing. So it went up, 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 up to the point eventually they formed a national association, and it went up one more step higher where they formed an international federation. But uh, esports look like it started from the top. There's immediately this big publisher who owns the game, and then push it downwards to uh, to create tournaments downwards. So, uh, and nobody controls the publisher. And you you can't blame them. They are a company. They invested money into the tournament, so or in the into the game. Um, so without a proper uh, world uh, governing body, um, uh, with which is effective, there, there is some who claim to be world governing body now. But if they're not effective, then that's why we have this problem. Right. Um, should conventional doping be considered cheating in eSports too? <laughs> uh, so, okay, conventional doping, before I pass it to Brian talk about the Philippines case, uh, of course, traditionally, conventional doping is uh, uh, governed by WADA, uh, based in Canada, World Anti-Doping Agency. They cover eSports too? Not yet. Not yet. So in Malaysia, it's Adamas, uh, and in Southeast Asia is Cirado. These are the governing agencies, uh, all governed by the WADA rules. But esports, not yet. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to leave the mic to Brent to tell you what happened in, in, in the Philippines. So in Philippines, uh, for a Dota 2 tournament, uh, one of the, the requirements was that every participant had to go through a doping test. Um, so a lot of players were upset with it, was not happy with it. And, and why were they upset with it? Um, so that prompted the... Um, publishers to make a statement and their statement was they disagree with the doping procedure because it was an invasion of privacy. So it was not so much a doping issue, but it was more of a privacy issue, uh, invasion of privacy issue in that situation. Uh, but if you want to talk about doping in esports, um, it's actually a very small area, uh, but there are cases. There was a player, former player who actually admitted in an interview that he used um, Adderall, a um, drug for ADHD for, to help him focus. And that prompted a coalition, an eSports integrity coalition, um, and they replicated what WADA did. So they have a, a list of banned substances uh, where they expect their tournament organizers who are member or part of the coalition to uh, run these tests during tournaments. However, uh, not many, not many, not it's not global. Uh, not many. It depends on who is subscribing to them, who is part of the coalition, and also even those organizations who are part of the coalition are not really enforcing this drug testing um, issue. Yeah, are they ran or consulted by experts like doctors or not? This this uh, fledgling coalition. Uh, I think, in my opinion, I, or rather, as far as I understand it to be, it's more of a look. This is what Wada is doing. Let's adopt it. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so it's not really in force yet. Uh, at the moment, we can see that, and uh, with respect to the esports community, there is, I, I don't see a uh, desire 
uh, strong desire to adopt uh, WADA. Though in my personal view, um, that for any sports in this world to to develop into a acceptable and acknowledged proper sports, I think anti-doping is uh, crucial. Mm. It's, 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 it's the character of a professional sports. It's, it comes with it. So if esports want to develop into a mainstream sport and, and grow even bigger, I, I think eventually they have to evolve into looking at that. Even if they don't adopt WADA, like what Brian was saying, uh, have their own version of WADA. Um, and then let's see how it goes from there. So software is a recognized problem and they try to work on it. Um, taking things like Adderall, conventional doping, still unclear. What about hardware? Um, hardware is e-doping. So the e-doping issue is a hardware issue. Um, example, so people manipulate the, the mouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, like what uh, Brian was saying, that they manipulate the... the uh, their part is correct, the software, where the player can see through a wall. So that's, yes, that's correct. That's manipulation of the software. But there are uh, people qualifying tournaments at, you know, as... as Brian just explained, we cannot control them because they're not physically at one place. So some people may be playing in a, at home and have manipulated the hardware. It's possible. But actually, the publisher and the tournament can detect. Mm. They, they're able yeah. to detect, yeah. Yeah, elite gamers would want to use their own gears, right? Their own keyboards or their own mouse. But at f- big finals or major finals, are they required to use the tournament's uh, organizer's computers? Um, As far as I know, they are not required to. But the moment they start the tournament, um, all their gear is checked and put in lock and key, under lock and key. So you cannot even set up the keyboard and mouse. Uh, It will be one of the staff that does it. So you surrender your gear. They will check to make sure everything is, the settings are all correct. Um, there is no manipulation of the hardware. And then, yeah, it's put in long key. Yeah. So it's no um, fear of sabotage or yeah. the hardware yeah. malfunctioning on yeah. the day of the tournament. Okay. So um, are governments and uh, the private sector excited or, or looking forward to develop this industry? Well, I, I would say yes, uh, particularly the entire Southeast Asian region. Um, uh, from what we can read and see, I, I think the world esports community are very excited to invest in this region, rightly so. Uh, huge gaming rights, uh, very good internet uh, connection in this region. Um, uh, I think there's a lot of money to be invested, so that's one. Government-wise, uh, I think our current Minister of Youth and Sport, he's... he's very interested in this area, so that therefore he, I think he will try, try to invest some time into this. But um, our laws and our rules uh, pertaining to esports have yet to be properly crafted. So, uh, for example, our principal governing uh, sports law uh, law is actually the Sports Development Act, which was recently amended. But I, I'm not sure whether it can actually uh, properly, effectively cover esports. Mm-hmm. So, some way to go, uh, but. From what I understand, there are already works around the states. Even the states uh, are trying to form their own sports council, uh, specifically for esports. And I think uh, in 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 the federal level, the Majlis Sukarnegara uh, and to some extent the Institute Sukarnegara, they are both uh, government agencies. They are also involved in this. So uh, the government is quite serious in this. Brian, what developments are you paying attention to? Um, I'm looking at how the rules would be more standardized. Uh, Right now, there is a very, even within a single game itself, 
the, the rules change every year. Uh, one example would be uh, for Dota last year, the qualifying system had invites, direct invites to the events. This year, they decided not to. So we don't have anything yet set in stone. Um, so that will be something that I would be very interested in following and hoping that things would be more in place. Are you a gamer yourself? Yes, I am. Yeah. Do you participate in <laughs> esports? Uh, I used to. You used to, right? <laughs> so proudly. Yes, I am. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Proud to be a gamer. Right, Richard and I, I, I guess we, we play Tetris. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, a bit of FIFA and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. Uh, in fact, my favorite uh, computer game, inverted comma, is uh, Football Manager. Yes, also, yes, I remember those days. <laughs> many, many hours spent in the room. Uh, anyway, thank you, Richard and uh, Brian. Thank you, thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.